The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hour, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is very interesting, and it's about what has happened in counterterrorism and how the military has really been successful most of the time, hopefully, in counterterrorism. And we have with us a wonderful guest who was very much involved in the U.S. military for 25 years in counterterrorism. And he, I'm going to give you his first name, but he does not wish to have his name uh, out there due to the nature of the importance of privacy and secrecy of his former career. And we want to make sure that he is protected protected. But he was so kind uh, to say that he would be willing to share some of the insights because all of us worry about terrorism in this day and age. And so we are going to reveal some important things that everyone should know. So let me tell you a little bit about Dallas. Dallas served in the U.S. military for 25 years, much of which was in counterterrorism. And um, his primary objective was to disrupt the ability for terrorist groups to acquire funding, weapons, and individuals who were of interest to the operation. As intelligence was gathered by individuals who had infiltrated the terrorist cells, which is also a scary thing to do, um, they were able to process the information and assemble the operation to interrupt their operations. He joined in 1989, and then he served until 2014, serving in the Desert Storm in Iraq and, and quite a bit of other things in between. He has received numerous awards, including the Global War on Terrorism Expeditionary Award, the Global War on Terrorism Service Award, as well as OIF and OEF operations deployments. Um, he's grateful for his experience and how it has changed him to be who he is today. Um, he's an expert in mass casualty and triage situations, expert in weapons training, uh, qualified coxswain, which I don't know what it is. He'll have to explain it to us. And um, so much more. He's an expert marksman. I'd like to have him protecting me. And, uh, and so much more. So we'll find out more about his career and about what we can do to protect ourselves from terrorism. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate 
Dallas, and we also appreciate your your all of your service to our country. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, and you're welcome. And and good morning. And good morning. Yes. Oh, so tell us a little bit more about your career in the military and doing what you were doing. Well, that was quite the introductory, I have to say. And whenever you did point out that I joined in 1989, it made me really realize how old I was. <laughs> and it sounds like it was so long ago. <laughs> so um, at any rate, you know, I, I joined in 1989, not really knowing what I wanted to do in the military. And just like a lot of the 18 year old kids do, they go in and, you know, kind of blind and, and uh, get through basic training and then find out what uh, kind of job they're going to be doing. And I found myself uh, being put onto a security detachment immediately. And following that was sent it straight over to uh, the desert storm operation that was occurring between Iraq and, and Kuwait. So at that point, when I came back, uh, and I was still 18 years old, I was 19 by the time I came back, I continued to work on that security team and eventually found myself going through training on counterterrorism. And uh, through that, I ended up joining or being shifted over to another uh, tip, uh, unit that I ended up serving in and was in that same unit for pretty much the rest of my career. Mm. And during that time, you know, our focus, like you said, was to uh, disrupt the operations of terrorist organizations and in groups by uh, seizing their drugs that they were selling uh, and finding people that were of interest. Uh, a lot of these people that that were that we're talking about were individuals that were bomb makers, mm. uh, people that you know were recruiters going out and recruiting other people uh, to be suicide bombers mm. and uh, various things like that. Scary stuff. So um, so they were selling drugs to make money so that they could buy arms and and uh, equipment for bomb? Or is that what they were doing? They're, they're, one of their main fundings is to sell drugs. Mm. And that's how, you know, and they smuggled the drugs, uh, usually on cargo ships and in other various uh, means as well. But the drugs provide a large financial uh, sustainability for their operations is, and also they do hijack different things to uh, obtain materials that they can sell they think is of value so that they can sell that as well. Weapons are being transferred around uh, various places and we try to eliminate that and get those weapons away from the terrorist organizations. Hmm. Now, do they get funding from, like, the Saudis and others as well? I mean, I mean, how do they get all this money to be able to um, sustain all these people who are involved in terrorism? Well, that's a really good question. And to say that they get it from a particular country uh, would probably be be uh, 
not the best thing I can answer. But yeah. however, with that being said, they are provided funds from other places, other regions in that right. area. Right. So uh, what were the priority areas that you really focused on? Well, mainly for us, it was the weapons and the drugs and the people uh, that were being moved around in in hiding. Mm -hmm. Uh, We would get uh, our intelligence, whether it was now to see operation, we Mm -hmm. would go out and uh, meet up with a a vessel or stop a vessel, basically, mm-hmm. and board their uh, vessel and search it for contraband. And, you know, we were always always looking for uh, WMDs, which is weapons of mass destruction, mm. and as well as uh, people that might even be, be being smuggled from one area to another of the Middle East and obviously the drugs. So... And then on land, we had operations that uh, mostly was directly with finding certain people that were in hiding. And our intelligence would be gathered by different intelligence services. <laughs> and, yeah. and they would uh, uh, basically relay that information through, the, through our chain of command, which we would then have our objectives for our operations. So that that's pretty scary stuff, and I'm sure you saw a lot of things and you had to do things that that were um, very dangerous. So how did that affect you personally? As as many of us have experienced, PTSD, uh, post traumatic stress disorder, did set in at some point. I'm not sure when, and it was not recognized even by myself mm. uh, for for a long time. The first, one of the first signs of PTSD is getting into what we call a fight or flight uh, syndrome, and that's where you want to either run from everything and hide out, or you want to fight everyone. And and I, you know, I think I was in the fight stage for a while, and because I was still in the military and and I was still driving forward and doing what I was doing, but. As I uh, re- getting close to my retirement, you know, I noticed that there was a change in me. Uh, my wife noticed that there was a change in me, mm. and depression was starting to set in. So that's when I, you know, took the opportunity to go speak with uh, a therapist and uh, start discussing things. So it it will affect uh, individuals, not everybody. But uh, most of the time, uh, it does, and it's a very serious thing. And a lot of people don't recognize PTSD as being as uh, serious of an issue as as it really is. Yes, yes, because then you come back to reality, to the civil life, and exactly. and you know, I would imagine nightmares and just uh, readjusting exactly. to a different life where you're not worried about you know, who's going to knock at your door. <laughs> and entering large crowds, you know, I mean, I right. feel to this day, if we go to, if you and I were going to have lunch somewhere, yeah. I'm going to have to sit and face the door. Right. You know, I won't t- put my back to the door. Right. Uh, large crowds that are very cluttered with people or very tight uh, yeah. places I can't do. And, you know, even for a while, I, I had a, very difficult time driving past 
vehicles that were parked on the side of the road. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, and everybody. It's that heightened their, sensitivity to that that you oh, were absolutely. trained. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And always watching over your shoulder. Right. And, and I still do that. This is a habit at this point. Yeah. And, so even when I go, you know, jogging, I still look back every once in a while. Right, right, <laughs> right. No, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me because you that's uh, that's imprinted on your brain, and that was your training. Yeah. So, Correct. you know, so let me ask you, you know, uh, we hear about sometimes the people in the military who, because of PS, uh, PTSD, have a real problem coming back and it, it causes problems um, that they might um, maybe our own military might become involved with terrorism. Tell, tell us about that. Well, we've seen examples of this in the recent years and it, it's mostly because they kind of form this sorrow or sympathy for what they saw or what they did while they were deployed. But what we're also seeing is that the majority of these people that have turned or been radicalized is, is what I call it. Yeah. Is they've had, they've experienced um, mental issues. Right. And some of them have even been discharged from the military due to those mental right. uh, concerns. And, I think a lot of, well, some experts even have said that a lot of the uh, people that are being ra radicalized in our society uh, suffer from some type of mental disorder. Right. So, you know, it's um, it's sad, but it's a reality at this point. But the the sympathy, the sympathy that they feel for, you know, different things that they saw, and then they start, you know, digging deeper, or somebody starts putting more information in their head, you know, and the depression is set in, the PTSD is there, the fight or flight is there, and you add all those things up into a mixing bowl, mix it up, <laughs> and, yeah. you know, it's just a mess. And uh, whenever you're talking about somebody who has a mental disorder, right. and all that is inside their head, you can imagine, you know, what kind of a disaster is going inside their brain at right. that point. And yeah. they're trained in military. They're trained in weapons. They're trained uh -huh. in in um, being able to seek out uh, their, you know, their what they consider an aggressor um, in, stealthily, right? So they have this training yeah. that they could use that can be, um, you know, used in a, in a way that would hurt their own people and their own country. So that that is um, a big big fear. Do you think that the military should be um, doing more in terms of helping the transition to go back to the civil life or how to deal with PTSD while they're in? I mean, you you being part of that, what would have helped you in the transition? That's a, that's another good question. And when we come back from a deployment or an operation, one of the first things that we go through is a form of demobilization process. Mm. And we go through a medical screening and and we go through a psychological screening. Oh, you do? And uh -huh. it, yeah. And, and a lot of times the psychological screening is just 
filling out a sheet of papers and, you know, asking you different questions, specific questions about what you saw, what you experienced. Did you see anybody die? Did you, you know, did you have a friend pass? And and then they kind of evaluate from what you wrote down on that piece of paper as to what they are going to do about it. Well, you have some people that are coming back that are so caught up in that depression and that post-traumatic that they don't even write it down. They don't even discuss it. They don't. Right. They don't put it on paper. So the military doesn't know. You know. What and they don't want to look like on. they're they're weak. You know, quote in right. quotation marks because yeah. obviously you're right. not weak if you've just gone through all that. Then, you know, right. <laughs> but they don't want to appear like, oh my gosh, you know, I can't do that. I, I'm a marine, or I'm a navy officer, or I'm this, or I'm that. They don't want to exactly. admit it, even right. And exactly, and obviously, when you're over there or when I say over there, but whenever you are on a deployment into a combat zone and you have something bad happen on a Tuesday, well, guess what? You get to wake up Wednesday morning and go out and do it again. Right. So, you know, you may see it bad, you know, something bad again on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, and, and then you might have two weeks of nothing. Right. But you don't have time to really process. You don't have time to discuss this with anybody. You can't really, I mean, although we had uh, different, um, you know, psychiatrists and whatnot that would be deployed into those uh, areas with us that you could go find, it may be days before you get to go speak with that person. Right, right. And and they don't really give you, I mean, they train you in all these weapons, but they really don't train you in how to deal with your emotions and your thoughts. You know, which seems to me like, you know, the brain, obviously, when you're in the fight or flight, your amygdala, which are those two little almond shaped uh, little organs that cause fight or flight or freeze, Mm -hmm. that, Mm -hmm. you know, there are ways for you to change your thinking. It's but I would think you would need a lot of training on that to be able to do that. And it sounds like that they didn't. That's something that they haven't done or wouldn't be able to do yet. So, um, to my knowledge, they have no, they have still not uh, done anything or implemented anything like that yeah. in the military. Yeah. Which, and I agree with you that it would be, uh, you know, very beneficial to a lot of people. Because we hear stage. of all these suicides um, well, yeah. for people who have come back from the military, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, the very high rate, and of, of course, so many homeless people. And divorces from people who come back that they they can't like you said your wife had told you, hey I'm noticing this change in you and um, right. and we've seen that so many times and so it's it's so sad you know you've worked so hard for our country and you've put your life on the line and um, this it seems like we should do more for you but. Uh, Let's get back to um, talking about the terrorism because I think you have some great things you could tell us about what kinds of threats are we in danger at home here in our country because we've seen it, right? We've seen so many different mm-hmm. kinds of threats of terrorism, even homegrown terrorism um, that aside from you know, 9-11, we've seen Sandy Hook and all these innocent people killed. So that would be helpful for you to give us some of your insight on the kinds of threats we have here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, um, and, and you're right. Uh, we have homegrown threats, as we call it, uh, 
uh, people that are being radicalized. And again, this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about, uh, you know, a lot of these individuals are suffering some some sort of a mental disorder. Right. And, you know, most recently we had the synagogue shooting. Well, actually, most recently we had the school shooting yesterday in Colorado, which is tragic, yeah. but they yeah. have not released any kind of motive yet, to my knowledge. So we don't know if there was any, uh, you know, driving force in, in um, uh, terrorist behavior behind that or not. But we've but had, we had so to- many of these all over yeah. the place. It's it was, just... We've seen it so many times, and, and not just here in the United States, but everywhere around the world, right. pretty much. And and it's uh, becoming more and more of a issue. And and it's really, you know, this where we live now, it, it is easy to assume that at some point in time that something's going to happen, even here in Southern California. Mm-hmm. And... With, you know, again, homegrown, uh, what we call homegrown terrorists. And whereas before we were more concerned about jihadists, uh, extremists, and, you know, after 9-11 happened. Uh, but our most concern now mm-hmm. are is, is the, the guy next door. Right. It's not the jihadists groups anymore it's it's it really isn't it's it's the people down the street you know we had um back in 2015 when the married couple you know right. in um, san bernardino county right and uh husband and young husband and wife with yeah. with a baby yeah. yeah they were radicalized online right is what we found out or right. you know the the government found out so uh it, and again we see it over and over and over so, you know, certain things that you can look for in somebody. So let's talk is, about what are those things that we can look for. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, one, one of the key things is in the beginning is cutting off your friends, mm. you know, your network that you have had for so long. And all of a sudden now this person is, is kind of isolating themselves. That's a very... Uh, concerning behavior, Mm -hmm. especially if it was somebody that you've known for a long time, grew up with, always happy, always having fun, going out, you know, the happy-go-lucky. And sometimes it might just be they're going through a tough time. Another sign that you might want to look at is what we've seen also is the growth of facial hair, beards, Mm. uh, dressing in more of a religious fashion. Right. and also talking about religion more. Mm-hmm. And those are kind of components that we really want to start watching out for when it comes to the public. Mm-hmm. And you put all those together. And um, and then, of course, watching their behavior online. You know, if, uh, exactly. you, if you have a exactly. friend that starts talking about their guns that they've purchased and... And exactly. hate speech. Posting pictures. Uh, yeah, hate, on, hate on speech. And, yeah. And yes, exactly. So I think exactly. what's scary is we've got these hate speech. We've got the, the white supremacists, right, as well yeah. as the radicalized um, Islam uh, people. Mm-hmm. So we've got um, radicalized 
anybody, you know, I mean, this can happen in any group. Like I remember, I'm old enough to remember when Northern Ireland, remember what happened in Ireland when they had all those tourists in Ireland, Northern Ireland. And, you know, who would ever think of going to their, to that country at that time with all the bombings between the, the Catholics and the Protestants, you know, (laughs) in the name of religion. And, you know, now I'm dying to go to uh, Ireland, but yeah, I mean, it's in the a beautiful name, place. Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I would not have gone there when all the bombings were going on, and and there was the right. you know the uh, the what was it the Irish Republican Army and all that stuff that there was terrorism. So, you know, it's scary for us to have real hate speech on a particular religion or a particular anything, you know, um, it's, mm. it's the groups like the white supremacist groups that, you know, want to kill anybody who doesn't believe like they do, you know, or the mm. Islamic terrorists that are radicalized. So, um, yeah, I mean, cause we don't want to just look at anybody and say, Oh, well, you know, they're, you know, they they go to a mosque, so they must be a terrorist. You know, I mean, we have to be careful on right. that too, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, people that are you know these individuals that are going to the mosques and uh, to to practice in their Muslim beliefs. Right. You know, the 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 religion of Muslim is a beautiful religion, and in the Book of Quran, yeah, it's a beautiful book, and it really is all more about peace and love and and. And accepting your your fellow neighbors and and um, getting along, you know, it's just it's all about interpretation, God and interpretation, exactly. And it was the you know Islam uh, that you know are were the aggressive, and they they took certain parts of the Quran and translated it, like you said, interpretation, Mm -hmm. and took it for their own way, and they started trying to battle and take land from, you know, other uh, Muslim areas, you know, over in the Middle East. And that's kind of what, how Islam formed. So it, it's just grown, obviously, to what it is today. Yeah. And the Islamic uh, extremist, you know, is very aggressive, mm-hmm. obviously. So what should we do if we are concerned about an individual? Well... You know, there's there's that saying, uh, "See something, say something." And right. we've been fortunate in some situations uh, recently where somebody has seen a, either a post online about, like you said, pointed out hate speech or threats, uh, getting you know threatening uh, messages towards schools or whatnot. A lot of right. times. Unfortunately, this has been even the children that attend those schools. Mm-hmm. And this is becoming more of a an attention getter than it is anything about revenge or retaliation. Right. And, you know, a lot of times these children are just you know, lonely, depressed, uh, angry, mad at mom and dad, you know, whatever. And the list goes on and on and on. And so they find a way to get recognized. They find a way to get uh, attention and unfortunately, this is becoming so popular in our culture today that that's the first thing that they you know think of. Well, I need to go get a gun. So yeah, you know, you see that kind of behavior in in somebody. You know, you see somebody purchasing weapons. Uh, you know, strangely, oddly, in a large amount. You should say something. Re- report it to the authorities. 
you're not. So are you talking about to, the local law enforcement or? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, local, yeah, and then uh, they will yeah, bring in the FBI if they think it's something. If yeah, yeah, absolutely, if, if necessary, and um, the ATF as well. You know, and we're just, on, a, you know, we're just about out of time. So I okay. just want to, you know, for people who would love, you know, here we are sitting on the campus of the University of California, Irvine. If people want to get involved in the military and learn to do some of the really wonderful things that that uh, protect our country, like our friend Dallas did for so many years, they can go to todaysmilitary.com and figure out what they would like mm-hmm. to do. But we are just out of time, Dallas. So thank you so much. And thank you for your service to our country. And thank you for being open and vulnerable about what the PTSD that you went through yourself. And we, um, oh, we're, we're really appreciative. And we will talk again soon. And we're just so glad that just one other thing I wanted to say is that Dallas is now going to be um, in the legal profession dealing with uh, civil rights because he has his heart in the right place. So I got to go now, but uh, talk to you again soon, Dallas. Okay. Thank you so much, Mari. Okay. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Join us every Monday morning at 8 8 a.m. and visit our website at privacypiracy.org. Thank you. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.